Welcome to the Paranormal Factor Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Wright. Thanks for stopping by. This is the place to explore mysteries, investigate the otherworldly, and share stories of the inexplicable and the strange. You see, within the realm of our daily, ordinary lives, there is a paranormal factor always waiting to reveal itself. So let's begin exploring together the truly weird. Welcome, listeners, and thanks for stopping by. Well, here we are together again on another expedition into the bizarre and frightful world of the supernatural. We've recently given you some deliciously weird coverage of various cryptids and UFO aliens. This week, however, we journey again over that shadowy boundary marking the line between our earthly world and that of the grave, where ghosts and other non-living creatures make their home. But first, let me make a pitch here for our Facebook page. We have new content that gets posted every weekday, Monday through Friday. Mondays are Monster Monday, where we highlight a monster for you, many you may never have heard of. Tuesdays, we pose a paranormal-themed question to you with the answer given on our next episode. Wednesdays highlight a paranormal book or film for your enjoyment. And Thursday, we share some recent paranormal news from out there in the world. And of course, Fridays, well, that's the day when our newest episode premieres. So please go out to Facebook and search for the Paranormal Factor podcast and start enjoying some fun content today. By the way, this episode is our 13th of the season. Hmm, Friday the 13th, if you will. So you might want to look out for black cats, spilt salt, and all those other sorts of superstition. But then again, what could possibly go wrong? Now, on to our encounter with the ghosts of the Whaley House. On January the 5th, 1882, Violet Eloise Whaley and Anna Amelia Whaley were both married in Old San Diego. Violet married George T. Bertolacchi, and Anna Amelia wed her first cousin, John T. Whaley, inside the family home. Unfortunately for Violet, just shortly after the wedding, her new husband revealed to her in a letter his contemptible past. By all accounts, Bertolacci was a con man of the highest degree. However, he vowed to prove his worthiness in light of his marriage to Violet. But Mr. and Mrs. Whaley would not hear of it and tried to sever all contact with him, driving a wedge between George and Violet. Suffering from melancholy, Violet committed suicide by shooting herself in the chest with her father's 32 caliber on August the 19th, 1885. She was just 22 years of age. Her suicide note reads, Mad from life's history, swift to death's mystery, glad to be hurled anywhere, anywhere out of this world. The suicide note was a passage from Bridge of Sighs, a poem by Thomas Hood. It's alleged that Violet still haunts the old Whaley house to this day. The house is so thoroughly spooky that, according to Time magazine in the 1960s, the U.S. Commerce Department classified the Whaley House as haunted. And in 2005, Life magazine called Whaley House the most haunted house in America. When most folks think of San Diego, they picture gorgeous beaches, 
beautiful weather and cultural and artistic attractions. But for those who have an affinity for the paranormal, San Diego beckons investigation with its rich and dark past, haunted spots, spiritual encounters, and inexplicable events. The most haunted of all San Diego places is without a doubt the Whaley House. Over the years, many descendants of the Whaley family lived and died in the house, including Anna and a few of the children, Thomas Jr., Violet, and Francis. Although the Whaley family's unfortunate past plays a key role in the home's chilling history, many believed it was destined to be haunted before construction even began. The eerie legacy of the Whaley house continued to grow as the family was struck with tragic deaths as well as paranormal and spiritual encounters that many still encounter today. Yet, it didn't start out as a famous haunted house. No, there was a time when the building was of major importance to the San Diego area, and its uses were many. On May 6, 1856, Thomas Whaley began construction on his new home and proclaimed, My new house, when completed, will be the handsomest, most comfortable, and convenient place in town or within 150 miles of here. The two-story Greek Revival house was designed by Whaley and made from bricks created in his very own brickyard furnished with mahogany and rosewood furniture, walls finished with plaster made from ground seashells, Brussels carpets, and damask drapes. It was considered a mansion for its time and place. Costing more than $10,000 upon completion, quite a sum back then, the Whaley House was overwhelmingly praised as the first of its kind and finest home in Southern California. And the house was the first brick building in California. It was a central pillar amongst the Old Town San Diego area. From 1857 to the early part of the 20th century, the Whaley House became the gathering place for the entire San Diego community. Besides being the Whaley family home, it was also San Diego's first commercial theater, the second county courthouse, and a bilingual general store. The home became such an integral part of the community that it was later the focal point in a battle between Old Town residents and New Town residents. The San Diego County government had been renting a portion of the Whaley House for its offices and records. Whaley offered several times to sell the house to the county, but the offer was always ignored. New Towners demanded that the county offices and records be moved to New Town. Despite threats of armed resistance from the Old Towners, the records were eventually moved, effectively shifting the focus of the city to Newtown. The historic house opened as a museum on May 25, 1960, managed by the San Diego Historical Shrine Foundation, a nonprofit organization. The Whaley House has been maintained by Save Our Heritage Organization since 2000. Since 2007, a live-in caretaker has lived on the property to prevent theft and vandalism. Although the Whaley House was a communal treasure, it primarily served as the residential home for Thomas Whaley and his family. Thomas Whaley had arrived in California around 1849 during the famous California Gold Rush. Upon arrival, he set up a store in San Francisco. It was there where he sold hardware and woodwork from his family's New York business, as well as offering mining equipment and utensils on consignment. Born on October the 5th, 1823, the young entrepreneur came from a Scots-Irish family, which immigrated to Plymouth, Massachusetts in 1722. 
Alexander Whaley, his great-grandfather, was in fact a gunsmith and participated in the Boston Tea Party. Thomas's own father, Thomas Whaley, carried on the family gunsmith business and served in the New York militia during the War of 1812. Whaley's entrepreneurial spirit and sharp business acumen helped him flourish in San Francisco. After an arson set fire destroyed his buildings, he relocated to San Diego. Shortly after marriage in 1855, Thomas and wife Anna purchased the land and set forth on his journey to build the finest home in California. By 1858, Thomas and Anna Whaley had produced three children, Francis, Thomas, who would die at just 18 months, and Anna Amelia. Later in life, the Whaleys welcomed three more children, George, Violet, and Corinne. Now, while it's true his home was indeed handsome, the horrors that followed were anything but. Shortly after the birth of the Whaley's son, Thomas Jr., they were met with tragedy. The child had contracted scarlet fever and died just 18 months after his birth. Soon after, a fire broke out and destroyed part of the house that Thomas had transformed into a general store. Dismayed over their significant losses, the Whaley's decided it was time for a change and moved back to San Francisco. Over the course of the next 10 years, Thomas invested in a stock that proved to be financially beneficial. With his affairs in order, he and the family moved back to San Diego to attempt to repair what had been ruined by the fire those many years prior. Completion on the house was finalized at the end of 1868, and all was well with the Whaley's. But sadly, any happiness to be found proved to be short-lived, for in 1885, one of their six children, Violet, took her own life. But we need to go back three years before her suicide to learn what would make her do such a thing. In 1882, Violet married George T. Badalacci. Just two weeks into Violet's marriage, she awoke one morning during their extended honeymoon to find that her husband had left. It turns out Bertolacci was a con artist who only married Violet in the hopes of securing some of the Whaley family fortunes upon their marriage. When this did not come to pass, he disappeared, leaving Violet alone and despondent. During these times, society tended to shun women who returned home without their husbands, as it was something 19th century ladies simply did not do. The divorce took almost a year to finalize, and Violet never recovered from the shame. At the young age of 22, she shot herself in the chest with her father's 32 caliber pistol, leaving that heartbreaking note that you heard earlier, quoted from the poem by Thomas Hood. Another Whaley daughter, Corinne, was engaged to be married at the same time as Violet's death, but her fiancé broke off the marriage due to the scandal the suicide caused the family. After such tragic events, Thomas built the family a new home, not far from the Whaley house, leaving their original home vacant for nearly two decades. It was there that Thomas Whaley would meet his fate, dying in 1888 due to his declining health. In the years to follow, the Whaley House fell into disrepair. It wasn't until 1909 that Thomas Whaley's son Francis took on the massive undertaking of restoring the Whaley estate. Instead of making it just his home, Francis took the opportunity to turn the restoration into a tourist attraction, promoting its history while entertaining guests with his guitar. The remaining surviving Whaley family, Anna Whaley, Thomas's widow, Corinne, Francis, and George all lived in the original Whaley house until their deaths. In 1913, Anna died at 80 years of age. A year later, 
Francis died. George Whaley died in 1928, and Corinne continued residency in the house until her own death in 1953. After this history of success and deaths, the Whaley house began to gain a reputation as a haunted house. It is said that guests and the staff from time to time will catch a glimpse of the ghost of a Whaley family member who died inside the house, such as baby Thomas Jr., Violet, Anna, Francis, George, or Corinne. While the story of the Whaley House's origins may seem as simple and innocent as any family history, the truth is many believe this home was destined to be haunted before it was even built. The property was built on the site of an old cemetery and was also the site of one of the town's most famous public executions, the hanging of the infamous thief, Yankee Jim Robinson. Over the years, during its restoration periods, which took place several different times throughout the home's history, workers and visitors began to notice strange and mysterious sounds, sights, aromas, and encounters. The first and most well-known ghost that lingered within the house and on the grounds was that of Yankee Jim Robinson, as he had died right on the spot where the home was built. The infamous criminal made eerie noises, loud footsteps, and left disembodied footprints, continually scaring Whaley family members throughout their lifetimes. Baby Thomas, who'd been the first in the family to pass away, had also stayed close by, as reported by many who have visited the home. They hear tiny footsteps, the sounds of him crying, even giggling when no one is in sight. Others report seeing a young woman lingering on the second floor of the house, believed to be the unfortunate Violet still consumed with sorrow. She seems to stay close to the second floor, where she spent much of her time after her divorce before she committed suicide. It's said that areas within the home become quite cold, and her presence is felt throughout. Thomas, Anna, and several other spirits have also been felt within the home, on the stairwells, and on the property. Many have seen Thomas dressed in his frock coat and top hat standing at the top of the stairs. Others have said they could smell the aroma of French perfume, Anna's signature scent, or the odor of cigars, which Thomas reportedly enjoyed. Mists, lights turning on and off by themselves, crystals in the music room's lamps swinging without any cause, all signs that the Whaley House still belongs to the many who called it home over the years and now still reside as spirits of the dead. Although no one has lived in the house since 1953, the ghosts of the departed are still there, waiting for visitors. Workers on site and guests who've toured the house tell accounts of many unusual and spooky encounters. Some say they've seen a figure looking out the upstairs window long after the house is closed for the day. Others have seen curtains moving, even though all the windows in the home have been sealed shut. The sounds of children running up and down the stairs can be heard without anyone being seen. Footsteps, cold spots, the appearance and then disappearance of shadows have all been seen, felt, and heard by guests. So, are these stories true? Well, they certainly are for the people who have experienced them. So, let's hear from some of them about their experiences in this eerie house. The Whaley House has continued its ghostly haunts and has earned its reputation as the most haunted house in America. Visitors report encounters even today. 
But rattled eyewitnesses aren't the only reason this story took off. Shortly after the Whaley family moved in themselves, they told the San Diego Union they heard heavy footsteps in the house, which they believed to be the ghost of James Yankee Jim Robinson, who had earlier been hanged on the property. Passersby confirmed the Whaley's claims by reporting apparitions in the home's windows from the streets. And what of Yankee Jim? He had a reputation of being a troublemaker in San Diego. He was a drunk and a horse thief and was despised by just about everyone in town. In 1852, Jim and two accomplices attempted to steal a schooner ship, although Jim stated later he merely wanted to borrow it. The three men were subsequently captured and awaited trial. Jim was given no representation. His two accomplices were each sentenced to one year in prison. Troublemaker, drunk, and thief Yankee Jim was sentenced to the gallows. It's rumored that the tree where Jim was hanged was the same plot of land where the Whaley house would end up being built, and it's alleged that Thomas Whaley himself witnessed the execution. And his hanging wasn't exactly normal. He was very tall and slender, so when they pulled the wagon from underneath him, he swung like a pendulum while slowly choking to death. Usually a person's neck breaks and they die immediately under their own weight, but Jim was reportedly hanging for an unusually long time before he finally died. Due to this torturous death, it seems Yankee Jim still walks among the living in the Whaley house. Visitors have captured pictures of a lanky man matching Jim's description. And it would seem that after their deaths, the Whaleys have joined Yankee Jim. Serving to bolster the house's hauntings are several sightings of physical objects being manipulated on their own, and there is frequently the presence of an odd mist that seems to linger. San Diego native and writer Hedge Metrion related in 2021, As a kid, I would go on field trips to the old town, and more often than not, we would go on the ghost tour. I didn't used to be a believer in ghosts until I went on the Whaley House ghost tour. I remember feeling as if someone was following me when I was at the very back of the group. As we walked through the dining room, I saw her, a little girl around my age looking at me, Hedge recalled. We made eye contact for what felt like ages, but it could have only been a couple of long seconds. I've believed in the supernatural ever since, she said. Mrs. Anna Whaley is the most common spirit in the house, Hedge related. People can smell her potent French perfume or see her in the parlor. Mrs. Whaley grieved of attracting the spirits in the house a lot. So perhaps it's fitting that in the afterlife, she provides a comforting presence rather than a malicious one. More often than not, she appears to young people in an effort to welcome them and interact, Hedge said. And of course, Thomas Whaley is also said to haunt the property. His specter accompanies his wife, Anna, in all black. Some visitors have even reported Mr. Whaley blowing smoke right into their faces, stated Hedge. Another story comes from a former Whaley House employee. People have reported seeing the apparition of a little girl in the dining room, and it is believed to be the spirit of Annabelle Washburn, a playmate of the Whaley children, the employee claims. The story goes that while she was outside playing, Anna ran into a low-hanging clothesline breaking her neck. Thomas then found her 
and placed her on the dining room table where she died. Yet no record of the incident or the child is known to exist, so if it isn't Annabelle Washburn, who's haunting the dining room? A local resident reported, My friend from Kansas was visiting, and she, like myself, loved the occult and the paranormal. Since I hadn't visited the Whaley house in years, we decided to visit. We were looking over the bedroom and trying to guess which family member slept there without looking at the pamphlet. Suddenly, I got hit with a massive wave of sadness, and I just wanted to cry. It followed me around the second floor, but stopped once we went back downstairs. It was the strangest thing, she stated. Dean Glass, Whaley House Museum historian, said he has seen ghosts in the museum multiple times. I saw a full apparition of a man I believe was Thomas Whaley, though he looked to be in his 20s, standing on the upstairs landing as I walked up the stairs one morning. He looked at me as if he was curious as to who I was and why I was in his house, then just disappeared. He was all shades of gray, no color to him at all. I've seen a few other fleeting figures that are all gray also, but none as distinct as Mr. Whaley, he recalled. Glass went on. On one occasion, I witnessed the chandelier in the courtroom swinging back and forth for no apparent reason. I have also on many occasions heard footsteps walking across the upstairs floor when no one is there. These sounds are always preceded by a loud crashing sound like a sonic boom. I once heard a man clear his throat loudly as if to let me know I wasn't alone when I was alone in the museum. And I've seen four or five other shadow people, distinct fleeting figures, Glass stated. The spirits ramp up curiosity and attract tourists, helping raise money to maintain and improve the property, Glass explained. They also are part of the Whaley House history and should remain so as long as they aren't evil, he said. I've never gotten the feeling of being in danger or unwelcome. Numerous close encounters by Whaley House visitors currently appear on the TripAdvisor website. First, we see a moving mist in the courtroom, said a woman, explaining a video shot by her son recently. I went frame by frame, and kid you not, at least four faces. I couldn't sleep the last couple of nights. In July, a visitor reported feeling nothing unusual until she arrived in an upstairs bedroom. The moment I took the corner to go into that room, I just had an enormous feeling of despair and panic. It was so terrifying that I had to leave, she said. Another reported, I caught a face of a woman wearing a veil or scarf over her head. Her encounter was in the bedroom of Violet Whaley. Jessica Johnson of the website Hidden San Diego says, In one of the rooms I went in, I remember extremely vividly looking in a long mirror and seeing behind me a young boy about five years old in a 19th century style outfit. He had suspenders, a paperboy hat, knee highs, all of that. He was talking to a beautiful lady who actually kept looking at me through the mirror and giving me a mischievous smile. She didn't seem evil, but a little devious, Johnson recalls. Johnson continued, The weird thing about her was that she was all green. I mean, green face, clothes, hair. I wasn't scared, though. I was just intrigued. I heard people coming up the stairs, and I instinctively turned to see who it was. 
The little boy and lady were nowhere to be seen when I looked behind me, and when I turned back to look in the mirror, the only person looking at me was my own reflection, she stated. The ghostly pair, they had just vanished. It was an amazing experience. At such a young age, when my imagination was still going full force, it was impossible for me to fully wrap this experience around in my head. Regardless, though, it has remained vividly in my memory ever since, although I questioned at the time if what I had seen was real or just in my head, she said. In 1982, the police were dispatched to the 2400 block of San Diego Avenue in response to a 911 call. A concerned citizen had reported a woman crying outside the historic Whaley House Museum. The responding police officer will never forget that eerie evening nearly 40 years ago. It was the night he saw a ghost, something he didn't talk about for decades. Uh, the officer came onto the property. I believe he was by himself and there was a woman at the back of the house crying, recalled Victor Santana, a museum manager at the time, who read the confidential letter the officer wrote after his retirement. Santana said, She was in period clothing, and so he asked, Ma'am, are you all right? She turned around and smiled, but according to Santana's recollection, as the officer shone his flashlight on her, the woman vanished. Santana, the museum's former director of interpretive services, is among those who say that they have heard voices, apparently from the other side. He was still in high school working at the museum when he had his first supernatural encounter at the house. As I was setting the alarm code, I heard a woman's voice say, Why are you here? he recalled. Oh man, that really scared me, to the point that I ran out the front door without completing the code. As the alarm siren blared, another San Diego police officer responded to the Whaley House. He claimed there was a woman in a green dress in the parlor, Santana said. This lady works here, doesn't she? He remembered the officer asking him. By the time backup arrived, the woman in green had disappeared. The TV show BuzzFeed Unsolved reported other unidentified ghosts could be apparitions of former tenants, as Corrine one of Thomas and Anna Whaley's children, who died in the house herself in 1853 and might also be haunting the house, would rent out the house to various people. These include a little girl in the dining room, vaudeville music being played in the theater room, and an active courthouse that is often visited by psychics where a woman is sometimes seen in the back corner of the jury box. BuzzFeed further notes the house also sports the rare instance of a ghost dog and a ghost cat, both of which the Whaley's owned at one time. Travel writer John R. Beyer reported in 2020, while doing an article on the Whaley House, he was taking a photo of his companion from the top of the stairs. As I was coming down the house's stairwell, a photograph of my friend Loreen was a must. I asked her to pause on one of the bottom steps, and she loves posing for the camera, and she complied, he said. At that moment, I felt as though someone was right behind me on the stairs. I turned around and saw something move to the right so quickly, like a blink, that the hair on the back of my neck stood up. I'm not sure what it was, but it was there, and then it wasn't, Bayer recalled. Lorene asked, did you see that? I nodded and said, saw it and felt it too. It was right behind you, a whitish something, right behind you, and then it was gone, she told me. 
I didn't get a photograph of Lorene at that moment. I actually think I forgot I had a camera at all. We left with great speed when we hit the bottom of the stairs. Am I a believer in ghosts? I can't say I am, or that I am not. The jury's still out. But that experience on the stairwell is hard to explain, said Byer. It is perhaps fitting and instructive to discuss the two main types of hauntings that we can encounter. Residual hauntings are commonly described as a videotape playing over and over again and at seemingly random times. It's believed that a residual haunting is trapped or imprinted energy on an environment. Usually this occurred because something traumatic happened at that location. The event may have not resulted in anyone dying, but it could have. The most important thing to note about a residual haunting is that it does not have intelligence, meaning there is no consciousness there to acknowledge you or anything that is going on. Therefore, there will be no interaction with you directly. So, setting up objects or doing EVP sessions at a location with only residual activity will really do no good, as there's nothing there with consciousness to respond. It's believed this kind of activity has a trigger which causes the tape to play and the activity to occur. The trigger may be a time of year, day or time of day, event such as an argument or someone crying, or even something like playing a game of cards. Determining what the trigger is for the residual haunting is key to trying to capture it. An intelligent type of haunting is the main type of haunting investigated by paranormal investigators. As the name implies, this type of haunting has intelligence, or consciousness, associated with it. They are usually a deceased person associated with the location. Maybe someone you know, a family member, or perhaps even a historical figure. These ghosts can be friendly or not, but often show themselves to others in a variety of ways. They can be fully visible. They can speak or make noises, touch you, or even emit an odor like perfume or cigar smoke to let you know they're there. Experts say that this type of ghost retains its former personality of when they were alive and can feel emotions. For those that believe ghosts are spirits of the dead, this is the consciousness of that deceased individual. Whatever it may be, it can respond to questions, react to objects, and interact in many ways with those in the location. This type of haunting engages with you directly, so it's vital to realize you are communicating with spirits that have the same feelings, emotions, and personalities as they did in life. Therefore, it's important to have empathy and understanding of their circumstances, both in life and in death. These types of intelligent encounters are common and seem to fit the experiences people have in the Whaley House. So, it seems entirely possible that baby Thomas, who'd been the first in the family to pass away, has always stayed close by, as reported by many who have visited the home. They report hearing tiny footsteps, the sounds of him crying, and even giggling when no one is in sight. Thomas, Anna, and several other spirits have also been felt within the home, on the stairwells and on the property. Mists, lights turning on and off by themselves, crystals and the parlor room's lamps swinging without any prompt are all signs that the Whaley House still belongs to the many who called it home over the years. The events surrounding the Whaley House are indeed sad and heartbreaking. One has to wonder if Thomas having the home built on top of a cemetery and execution site is to blame 
for the tragedies that seem to follow the family all of their collective lives. It cannot be denied that any happiness and joy the family had was brief at best. Their lives were filled with near-constant sorrow and despair. So well known are these tragic lives that ghost hunters and thrill-seekers gather at its location year after year in order to attempt to catch a glimpse of one of the long-dead Whaley's. Today, the residence serves as a museum that's open to the public. There, people can get a first-hand look at the house that was meant to be the Whaley's forever home. Instead, it turned out to be forever haunted by the Whaley's. The Whaley family appears to still be residents in the house. Thomas, Anna, Thomas Jr., Violet, Anna Amelia, Corinne, and even the family cat and dog. And of course, Yankee Jim. And other spirits are suspected to roam the house, if Mrs. Whaley's early complaints about them are to be believed. Such phenomena clearly can be imagined, or even engineered by hoaxers. But whether you believe in spirits or not, there are compelling instances of people experiencing what they cannot explain in this house. And it's enough to make them feel everything from very uncomfortable to downright terrified. Those moments when a chill fills the air or a shadowy figure is glimpsed out of the corner of your eye. Or more terrifyingly, when a full body apparition makes its appearance unbidden and in most cases unwelcomed. It would seem there are far too many such wide-ranging experiences over the years in the Whaley House to be something as easily explained away as overactive imagination. For there are countless examples of non-believers being non-believers until they encounter something they can no longer rationally explain. And if in some cases, even if they cannot bring themselves to actually admit belief in spirits and the supernatural, they no longer can doubt the possibility. And so, in the end, perhaps the Whaley House, and places like it, at the very least allow us to expand what we may be willing to consider, belief or not, that haunted houses just might exist, and that the Whaley House is one of them. In our next episode of the Paranormal Factor podcast, we investigate one of the foremost UFO abduction cases ever reported, the Travis Walton Incident. The Travis Walton UFO Incident was an alleged alien abduction of American forestry worker Travis Walton by a UFO on November the 5th, 1975, while he was working in the Apache Sitgreaves National Forest near Snowflake, Arizona. The event was witnessed by six of his forestry co-workers, who, in a panic, left him. They quickly decided to go back for him, but found he had disappeared. Walton was missing for five days and six hours, and his friends were arrested for murder at one point. After days of searching with scent dogs and helicopters with no success, Walton suddenly reappeared by the side of a road near Haber, Arizona. The Walton case received mainstream publicity and spawned a best-selling book and a popular movie. It remains one of the best-known alien abduction stories, while scientific skeptics, of course, consider it a hoax. Join us as we recount this truly frightening abduction case, what happened, what the witnesses say, and why skeptics dispute the event. Next time on the Paranormal Factor Podcast. And now it's time... For the episode quiz. 
It is time for the episode quiz, and here is your question from Tuesday's posting on the Facebook page. The film The Legend of Boggy Creek tells the story of who? Is it A, the Swamp Phantom, B, the Felk Monster, C, the Wampus Cat, or D, the Alligator Man? Once again, the film The Legend of Boggy Creek tells the story of who? Is it the Swamp Phantom, the Felk Monster, the Wampus Cat, or the Alligator Man? And the answer is... B. The Falk Monster. The Falk Monster, also known as the Boggy Creek Monster and the Swamp Stalker, is purported to be an ape-like creature similar to descriptions of Bigfoot. It was allegedly sighted in spectacular fashion in the countryside town of Falk, Arkansas during the early 1970s. This creature has become a part of both American and Arkansas folklore. Stories of the creature influenced the 1972 docudrama horror film entitled The Legend of Boggy Creek, which is today considered to be a cult classic. It was in the 1970s when the folk monster phenomenon really took off. The folk monster first made local headlines in 1971 when it was reported to have attacked the home of Bobby and Elizabeth Ford on May the 2nd. The creature was named by journalist Jim Powell, who reported on it for the Texarkana Gazette and the Texarkana Daily News. Various reports between 1971 and 1974 described it as being a large, bipedal creature covered in long, dark hair. It was estimated to be about 7 feet tall, with a weight of 250 to 300 pounds, and later reports claimed it was even larger, with one witness describing it as 10 feet tall, with an estimated weight of 800 pounds. Some of the accounts describe the Falk monster as running swiftly with a galloping gait and swinging its arms in a side-to-side motion. Reports also describe it as having a terrible odor, the odor being described as a combination of a skunk and a wet dog and having bright red eyes about the size of silver dollars. A variety of tracks and claw marks have been discovered which are claimed to belong to the creature. One set of footprints reportedly measured nearly a foot and a half in length and seven inches wide, while another appeared to show feet that only possessed three toes. The creature is said to haunt the network of creeks extending from the Sulphur River bottoms in southern Arkansas to the small town of Falk. Boggy Creek looks like any other stream you may see that passes underneath a highway bridge, but if you look closer at its isolation and shadowy undergrowth, the creek can take on an atmosphere all its own. So, the possibilities of an imposing, hulking cryptid lurking just a bit beyond the trees creates new mysteries and stories around the flowing creek. It was land that truly was made for something like the Felk Monster. Denny Roberts is the owner of the Monster Mart in Falk. It originally started as a convenience store, but has now transformed into the Falk Monster Museum. The town's mayor said he has personal friends who he's known for years that have seen the cryptid, and he says he's not going to be the one to call them a liar. For more on the Falk Monster, give a listen to our first episode of Season 2 on the Paranormal Factor Podcast. Well, that'll do it for this episode. A theme song is Knockers by Cinco, courtesy of Upbeat Music. Hey, before you leave, 
if you could, please do me just two favors. First of all, if you did enjoy the show, please leave a like on your favorite listening application. And secondly, if you liked what you heard, please spread the word. Love to have some new listeners out there to join you. I'm your host, Richard Wright. Keep your eyes open for the unusual folks, and thanks for stopping by.